0: The CDC has issued new guidelines for dealing with coronavirus, which is sometimes also referred to as the Chinese Communist Bio-Attack on America, or the Flu Manchu, the Kung Flu, the Yellow Peril, or simply by pointing at a random Chinese person on the street and shouting, hey, that looks just like the guy who gave me this lousy virus. The CDC, which stands for C, D.C. has even corrupted the medical community, says the guidance they gave for the Delta variant won't work on the Omicron variant any better than it did on the Delta variant. So their doctors have come up with an entirely new set of guidelines in order to pass the time until they're feeling better and can get back to work. Guideline number one, wear a mask. This is very effective in that it will make you so uncomfortable that when you catch the virus, you'll be able to take the mask off and think, wow, even though I now have a fever of 103, I still feel better than I did when I was wearing that mask. The CDC says you should especially put masks on children under two because it's hilarious watching them try to take it off and it will keep you entertained until your fever goes down. Guideline number two, schools should be closed. This won't do anything to prevent the virus, but it will allow teachers' unions to draw salaries for doing nothing so they'll remain typical public officials. If your child tells you the school closure is causing him trauma, put a mask on him so you can pretend not to understand what he's saying. Otherwise, teachers might have to work for a living, which might cause them to vote Republican. Guideline number three. Stay six feet apart from other people, unless you're having sex with a stranger or inciting a race riot. If you're having sex with a stranger while inciting a race riot, there might be a job opening for you at CNN, especially if the stranger is under 16. If you should take the job at CNN, remember to wear a mask so no one will recognize you and you can claim it was someone else inciting a race riot on CNN. Guideline number four, be alert for Omicron symptoms. These include sore throat, runny nose, aches, rashes, an itch at the back of your neck, smelly feet, a sesame seed caught in your teeth, A dreamy smile that comes over your face because your mind drifted and you stopped worrying about Omicron for a moment, and a feeling that your iPhone is vibrating in your pocket even when it's not. If these or any other physical feelings other than perfect bliss should occur, immediately have someone stick a wire so far up your nose it touches your brain and causes you to remember a previous life, possibly in ancient Egypt. Quarantine for 10 days while you're waiting for the test results, then put on a mask and stay home. The CDC says these guidelines will remain in effect until they stop being funny and government experts have to find some other way to entertain themselves. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are ringing, also singing, hunky dunky Dipsy, dipsy, topsy, the world is a bitty zing, it's a wonderful day, hooray, hooray, it makes me want to sing,
1: oh, hooray, hooray, oh,
0: hooray, hooray. All right, we are back, laughing our way through the fall of the republic. I think we should start today just by celebrating our tremendous victory over Joe Biden's completely unconstitutional OSHA guidelines to force employers to force employees to get vaccinated or tested. The Daily Wire was one of the first in the nation to file suit against the obscene obscene federal overreach. My future son-in-law, Josh from Legal, led the charge, and the Supreme Court has effectively blocked the mandate. Uh, so that's pretty much over. Uh, listen, I'm not a guy who wants to gloat over a victory or drive down, down by the White House with my butt hanging out of the car window or dance up and down in the mall with both my middle fingers pointing at the sky. I just have too much class uh, to do that. So I'd like to bring on somebody who doesn't have that problem uh, to express my feelings for me.
1: We're going to win so much. We're going to win at every level. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're gonna win economically, we're gonna win with the economy, we're gonna win with military, we're gonna win with healthcare and for our veterans, we're gonna win with every single facet.
2: My oh my, what a wonderful day. We're
1: gonna win so much, you may even get tired of winning. Yay! You'll say, please, please. It's too much winning. We can't take it anymore. I feel pretty, oh so pretty. I feel pretty and witty and gay. We have to keep winning. We have to win more. We're going to win more.
0: <laughs> I missed that. I gotta admit, I did I'm, I'm a little bit past Trump at this point, but I still, I still missed having him around the globe. Just, just to be clear about this, it wasn't a total victory. The Biden administration will still be uh, sending this guy around to your city uh, to encourage you to wear a mask.
1: Don't vaccinate. Don't wait don't hesitate. You gotta vaccinate in a Lone Star State. Vaccination is so great. Vaccinate me all day long. Vaccinate your daddy and mom. Vaccinate my body. Vaccinate me at the party. I vaccine, dream. I love the vaccine all day long. I want to vaccinate your mom. I want to stick it deep in your arm. Oh Omar, where are you? I want to vaccinate you, but you can't in my song, <laughs>
0: vaccinate
1: me in my song. Vaccination, right or wrong? Dr. Fauci, give me that ouchie. I want it in my body.
0: So the Biden administration has got this completely under control. All right, we're going to talk about some seriously sinister stuff today, a chain of lies and distortions uh, that kind of overrides a sewer of corruption, which includes this bizarre case of Ghislaine Maxwell and a woman who has gone missing and is now presumed dead in L.A. Just amazing. Uh, This is a great time for you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Wherever you get your podcasts, leave a five-star review. I cannot tell you how helpful this is to the show. You want to get your mailbag questions in if you're a subscriber. If you're not a subscriber, become a subscriber, then get your mailbag questions in for next week. Remember, all my answers are guaranteed 100% correct and will change your life, possibly for the better, possibly you're screwed. Uh, Also, you want to subscribe to my personal YouTube channel. We've got exclusive content for you there. And if you ring that little bell, we will deliver it personally uh, to your house. You'll notice that some of your silverware is missing afterwards. But if you also leave a comment there, and the comment is sufficiently racist or hateful, uh, we'll just include it because it fits right in with the rest of our uh, content Today's comment is from Fuzzy Blender uh, who says I love to listen to Claven twice Friday night with a glass of bourbon to get a great laugh, uh, an emo boost for the weekend and Monday morning with my coffee to quash any remaining feelings uh, of of hope for the weekend from the weekend hashtag uh, fall of the Republic. Uh, what you want to do on Monday morning, you want to also have a bourbon. That's how that works. that's the show works much better. So listen, I don't want you to make you paranoid, but be paranoid. I mean, it it doesn't make sense that the same company who controls half of online retail also passively eavesdrops on your private conversations at home. Big tech is more powerful than most countries are, and they profit by exploiting your personal data. It's time to put a layer of protection between your online activity and those tech juggernauts That's why I use ExpressVPN. It's on all my devices. When you run ExpressVPN on your device, the software hides your IP address, something big tech can use to personally identify you. So ExpressVPN makes your activity harder to trace and sell to advertisers. What I like most about ExpressVPN is how easy it is to use. You download the app on your phone or computer, tap one button, and you're protected. So stop handing over your personal data to the big tech monopoly that mines your activity and sells your information. I just hate that. Protect yourself with the VPN I trust. To keep me safe online, visit expressvpn.com slash That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com slash To get three extra months free, go to expressvpn.com slash right now to learn more. And I know what you're saying. You're saying you spelled express. We can spell express. But how, oh how? Please tell me how. Do you spell Claven? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no E's in Claven. There are no
1: E's in
0: claven So when I was researching, <laughs> I want to bring that guy with the wrapper. Ah, never mind. When I was researching my detective story uh, trilogy, the Weiss Bishop novels, Dynamite Road, uh, Shotgun Alley, and Damnation Street, uh, I made friends with a lovely uh, lady who was a private eye in Santa Barbara. It was kind of like a character in a movie. A very beautiful uh, lady who worked as a a private eye. And you probably know that private eyes in real life don't solve murders. They do some very um, you know, standard, routine stuff. And one of the things she often did, this lady, was she worked for defense attorneys and she made her living, and I kind of included this in one of the novels, she made her living working for a defense attorney. And here's what she did. If you were a witness in a trial and you saw a guy shoot somebody, commit a murder, uh, and you went and testified at the trial, she would research you and find any place she could where you might have been lying in the past where she could discredit you. So even if you, you know, kind of said on your resume that you'd done a couple of things that you hadn't done, uh, you know, she would find that out. And then when you were on the stand after you said, oh, I saw this guy right in front of me, he shot the the victim. uh, Then the defense attorney would get up and cross-examine you and say, didn't you lie on your resume when you were 17 years old? How do we know you're not lying now? That really is what she would do. And, I I was a reporter for a while, and I covered a lot of court cases, and I will tell you that juries don't fall for that. They do not, you know, they're not going to fall for that. They understand everybody lies on his resume. They're not going to get carried away with that unless, unless you are utterly corrupt, unless the private eye goes out and finds out that you cheated on your taxes, and you cheated on your wife, and you cheat in your business, and a lot of stuff you say is a lie, and you've written things that are a lie. If they can find that out, then they will discredit you, and the jury will say, hey, This person lies all the time. Why should I believe him now just because he happens to be under oath and on the stand, right? Because if people lie about little things a lot, they will lie about the uh, big things. And that's the situation that we are all in right now. I've said this before that we're in an information crisis. And the information crisis is in part the fact that our elites are so dishonest and are backed up and surrounded by a dishonest press and a dishonest social media that. We do, just don't know what to believe. And they keep saying, you know, this, is, this is amazing. They keep saying right-wingers conspiracy theories. So many conspiracy theories from right-wingers. But when the government lies, and then the media backs their lies, and then social media censors anyone who calls out their lies, and then Hollywood makes movies you know, honoring Dan Rather and his lies and honoring all the people who have told us the lies. And then when the lies, when our conspiracy theories... Turn out to be the truth, right? How can we tell the difference between a conspiracy theory and a conspiracy? So, uh, j- as an example, this this week just pre- poured out examples of this. Joe Biden and the Democrats are pushing what is essentially this federal takeover of our voting laws, and this is completely unconstitutional. The Constitution says that the federal government has the right to give uh, the time and the place of elections, so they can say first Tuesday in November it's going to be you know this day or whatever, but it is up to the states to set the laws about how we're going to have the elections. Each state does it themselves. So they ginned up this January 6th thing, and I've already given you my opinions on January 6th, whether the feds were involved in instigating it or not, doesn't matter, it was a stupid thing to do, Trump handled it badly, and so they've used this, they we put the weapons in their hands and they've used this to create this feeling that somehow there's this tremendous insurrectionary force uh, out there in America, just waiting to overthrow the government by force of arms, and and it's you, by the way, that you, you didn't know because you just thought you were going voting Republican, but no, you in fact are a terrorist, and you are going to overthrow, uh, you know, the Supreme Court. Now, so they they can't get this passed. They they can't get this federal election thing past the Senate with the filibuster still in place. So now the target becomes the filibuster and they want to get rid of the filibuster. Now, remember, all of this stuff backfires on them all the time. The last time they did this, they said, well, we're not going to allow the filibuster for federal judges. And Mitch McConnell, who never changes anything, he never wants to break any of the rules, said, well, if you're going to do it for federal judges, we're going to do it for the Supreme Court. And now we have a conservative majority on the Supreme Court. I won't play the Trump happiness montage again, but just remember that's because we have a, you know, this decision that we won at the Supreme Court it was 6-3, I believe, right? It was all the conservative justices supported this. So, all of this stuff is is bad news, but they think if they pass this thing that it won't matter because then they will win elections forever. Even though this is even though Joe Biden's approval rating is now down to four editorial writers at the New York Times and uh, a guy who lives on the streets of San Francisco and is shouting at Venus. So those are the people who now, so <laughs> the the new Quinnipiac poll. He's got a 33% approval rating, I believe, uh, although it's uh, even lower among people who can read. So now Joe Biden, he wants to get, he wants to intimidate his people, his own people, to support the, d- destroying the filibuster. He knows this isn't gonna happen. He knows it's not gonna happen. But he wants to make sure that AOC and all these people on the left are satisfied that he is doing what has to be done. So he goes down, the devil goes down to Georgia, and he makes this incredible speech.
1: I ask every elected official in America, how do you want to be remembered? At consequential moments in history, they present a choice. Do you want to be the on the side of Dr. King or George Wallace? Do you want to be on the side of John Lewis or Bull Connor? Do you want to be in the side of Abraham Lincoln or Jefferson Davis? This is the moment to decide.
0: That's, that's amazing. I mean, that is genuinely... First of all, I just want to point out that Dr. Martin Luther King and uh, Abraham Lincoln, both Republicans. But, but he's basically saying that if you don't support this, if you don't support this, you are a segregationist and a bigot and a racist, okay? Now, first of all, people are saying, oh, gee, you know, Joe Biden, lunchbucket Joe, he was elected to bring us together, and now suddenly he's divisive, you know, he's dividing people. This creep has always been this guy. He has always been a nasty piece of work, always. My, my son, Spencer Clavin, no relation, uh, was wrote for The American Mind. He pointed out that he, he used to like George Wallace. He said it was like the filibuster. Used to, Biden said... Uh, In 1987, the Philadelphia Inquirer reported that Biden bragged of an award he received from George Wallace in 1973. And in 1975, then-Senator Biden added, I think the Democratic Party could stand a liberal George Wallace, someone who's not afraid to stand up and offend people. But on top of this, you know, you've heard the expression borking. That was because Robert Bork, a Supreme Court justice, was Completely unfairly slandered to keep him off the court because Teddy Kennedy and Joe Biden didn't want a conservative appointed to, to the court. This is 1987. So when they nominated Robert Bork, they turned out all this stuff and made him sound like he was going to segregate uh, diners again. And just it was just awful. That was in part Joe Biden. 1991, he helped with the electronic lynching of Clarence Thomas over nothing. They keep talking about Anita Hill like she's a hero of the Republic, even if. Even if the stuff that she charged Clarence Thomas with was true and Thomas has consistently claimed that it wasn't true, even if it wasn't true, it didn't even reach levels of Me Too uh, nonsense. It was just kind of the kind of stuff, rough things that go on in an office. That also, Joe Biden was there. And remember when Obama was running against Mitt Romney, this is 2012 now, Mitt Romney pointed out quite rightly that the Dodd-Frank reform bill that came after the collapse in 2008, he pointed out that this was written by Christopher Dodd and Barney Frank, who were responsible for the crash in 2008. They were, the, they were the guys who started the government, took the government actions that led to the crash in 2008. They wrote the reform bill. And so uh, Mitt Romney attacked the reform bill. And this was Joe Biden's measured response.
1: Look at what they value and look at their budget and what they're proposing. Romney wants to let the, he said in the first hundred days, he's going to let the big banks once again write their own rules. Unchain Wall Street. They're going to put you all back in chains.
0: They're going to put you all back in chains. This is about Mitt Romney, the most, you know, I mean, the most bland, middle-of-the-road Republican. The conservatives in, on the Republican Party can't stand him because he's so middle-of-the-road. But he's going to enslave black people again. He's going to enslave black people again because he had the temerity to attack this corrupt bill that the Obama administration produced while prosecuting no one for the crash. You know... I, I I hit Donald Trump for his poor comportment. I, you know, do I not? I mean, I'm constantly talking about his bad manners, how they cost him the election, how they cost him the ability to uh, op, you know operate in a statesmanlike manner that would have gotten us laws instead of exact executive actions. This guy, Joe Biden, is worse. He's a nasty little man, and he's Always been a nasty little man, and after all this was done, because he never he insulted half the country, he called half the country racist knowing he wasn't going to get anywhere. And Kirsten Cinema came out immediately, and said, "You know, I," she said, "She supports um, the federal takeover of our election law. She supports that, but she doesn't support getting rid of the filibuster."
3: While I continue to support these bills. I will not support separate actions that worsen the underlying disease of division infecting our country. The debate over the Senate's 60-vote threshold shines a light on our broader challenges. There's no need for me to restate my long-standing support for the 60-vote threshold to pass legislation. And there's no need for me to restate its role protecting our country from wild reversals in federal policy.
0: In other words, she's saying that slowing things down, forcing the Senate to debate and get a uh, 60-vote majority to pass things causes us to participate in the American experiment. This is the thing that we're defending. We're not defending—look, I'm I'm a conservative, but I'm not trying to— wipe the left off the map, or at least the liberals off the map, I understand that the system we were given, this constitutional system we were given, forces us to engage with one another. That is the point of the constitutional system. It preserves our freedoms, which are not just for us, they're also for the left, but it preserves our freedoms by causing us to negotiate with one another. And this is the thing that the left is constantly trying to shut down, trying to pack the Supreme Court, trying to get rid of the Electoral College, and now trying to get rid of uh, The the filibuster in the Senate, and Kirsten Sinema is exactly right about this. I don't think she's right about the federal election law, but she is absolutely right about this. And and Biden walks away from this. He never had a chance of doing this. So he insulted all of us. He called all of us these names for no reason. And here he is walking away from this meeting.
1: I hope we can get this done. The honest to God answer is I don't know whether we can get this done. As long as I have a breath in me. As long as I'm in the White House, as long as I'm engaged at all, I'm going to be fighting to change the way these legislatures have moved. So
0: I, I want you to think back for a minute because this is the point. This is the point. It's not the fact that the Democrat Party is, is so low and so mean and so cruel. That's not the point. Remember when Donald Trump was claiming the, the election was stolen? And I didn't agree. I didn't think he had the proof. However, the press, even some of the right wing press, including the Wall Street Journal, instantly declared that what he was saying was untrue. And in every story, they referred to whatever he said as the unfounded claims. He was making unfounded claims. That was in the news stories, right? It wasn't in the editorials. It wasn't like, oh, Donald Trump says this and other people say this. It was the news people, the journalists themselves, were saying this was untrue. Let me ask you this. Where is a single person who has been denied the right to vote? The argument that they're making is that after the emergency measures that were taken due to the pandemic, which loosened all the voting rules, a lot of places, Georgia included, have tightened the voting rules up again. And they're claiming that this is going to keep people from being able to vote. Show me a person who has been kept from being to vote, except maybe some Republicans were scared away by the Black Panthers in 2008. Remember the Black Panthers standing outside the voting booths with with a a baton, with a stick, and going back and forth? And Eric Holder, the uh, attorney general, said, I'm not going to prosecute them because, you know, that that would be like comparing this to what happened to my people, meaning black people. He didn't want to, you know, this is the attorney general of the United States said he wasn't going to do this because, you know, that would be like talking about this. What happened to my people? No one is being kept out now. No one is being kept out now. The kinds of reforms they're putting in in Georgia don't do any. I mean, they. What do they do? They they um, they'll say that you can't just get uh, you can't just get an absentee ballot. You have to have a reason for having an absentee ballot. They have these rules in New York. They have them in Delaware, where uh, Joe Biden is from. Nobody is being kept out. So all of it, all of it is nonsense and they but they don't say it. You know, people always say this to me when I'll say well the left does this and the left do that does that the left wing will go well Trump 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 but the thing is if Trump came out and he wore a tie that didn't match his socks it was a scandal for 3 days. These guys lie and lie and lie and they're surrounded by an infinite corporate uh, media that backs them up and everything they says and never they say and never calls them out, never calls them out for the lies. So how do we know who to believe? Well how do we know what to believe? And when they say, oh, it's a conspiracy theory and three days later it turns out our conspiracy theory was an actual conspiracy, after a while we get to trust ourselves more than them. And sometimes, yes, that will leave us lead us astray. They're talking about the filibuster, they're trying to get rid of the filibuster, I just I just have to point out that here is what Joe Biden said about the filibuster when uh, George W. Bush under George W. Bush, they started get, talking about getting rid of the filibuster f- to help the Republicans.
1: make no mistake. this nuclear option is ultimately an example of the arrogance of power. It is a fundamental power grab by the majority party ending the filibuster is a very dangerous thing to do because it's been used by progressives the whole our whole time to make sure that we did not get rolled over.
0: You know, last week I was talking about all the times Chuck Schumer had stood up for the filibuster. Tom Cotton stood up in the Senate and made an entire speech that was all written by Chuck Schumer. It was all Chuck Schumer's words.
1: I will do everything I can to prevent the nuclear option from being invoked not for the sake of myself or my party, but for the sake of this great republic and its traditions. Those are powerful words, but they're not mine. Every word of my speech today was originally spoken by our esteemed colleague, the senior senator from New York, Chuck Schumer.
0: (laughs) Now, all right. So that's that's the state of play, right? Nobody has been denied his rights in in states where they tighten security, like New Hampshire. More people turn out to vote than in states like California, where that anybody can, you know, basically you can just throw a rock through a window with a name on it, and you've you, they've decided to vote a smaller percentage vote in California than they do in New Hampshire. It's all a lie. And this is the way the media covers it. This is a very small montage from our friends at Media Research uh, Center. A fresh push on voting rights legislation. Democrats are forcing a Senate vote on voting rights. Call to action to protect voting rights. Voting rights showdown. The showdown over voting rights. The big lies, corrosive effect on voting rights. Show me the person whose voting rights have been taken away. They haven't got one person. They just use the phrase. And they do this all the time. You know, racial profiling, they say, well, is it racial profiling or is it just police work? Uh, you're objectifying women. Am I objectifying women or are I just looking like pretty girls like every man who ever lived? They do this all the time. And now they're talking about voting rights. No voting rights are under attack. They have to prove that voting rights are under attack. And instead of doing what they do to Trump, which is saying he makes unfounded claims about the election, they don't say, oh, well, Joe Biden made unfounded claims about voting rights being under attack." which is, in fact, more provable than what they said about Donald Trump. I know if you're a small business owner, what you love to do is carry all your stuff down to the post office, wait online, and, uh, you know, just spend the day down there until you can mail it. Or, or if you don't have time to deal with the hassle of going to the post office, use Stamps.com. You can skip the trip and never waste another dollar or minute. Stamps.com saves you time, money, and stress. Stamps.com gives you access to all the post office and UPS shipping services you need right from your computer. You can get discounts you can't find anywhere else, like up to 40% off USPS rates and 76% off UPS. Whether you're an office sending invoices, a side hustle uh, shop, or a full-blown warehouse shipping out orders, or just a guy, stamps.com will make your life easier Save time and money this year with stamps.com. Sign up with promo code CLAVEN for a special offer that includes a four week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. No long term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com. Click the microphone at the top of the page and enter code CLAVEN. And I know you're saying yes, but how do you spell CLAVEN? It's K L A V A N. No E's in CLAVEN. I just make it look this easy. And then, you know, they have Kamala Harris, who is just (laughs) like, it's it's kind of fun to watch her circling the drain. She keeps doing these interviews. She's so bad at it. I mean, anybody who thinks that this is the future of the Democrat Party. I heard a Democrat commentator on Fox on on special report last night, the night before, saying, well, they're attacking her because of her gender and because of her color. Really? I mean, so they give her this incredibly sympathetic interview on NBC. And this is what she says about people who don't support this push to get rid of the filibuster in order to give the feds control over our voting laws.
2: I will not absolve the 50 Republicans in the United States Senate from responsibility for upholding one of the most basic and important tenets of our democracy, which is free and fair elections and access to the ballot for all eligible voters. What about Senator
1: Manchin? What about Senator Sinai? I
2: don't think anyone should be absolved from the responsibility of preserving and protecting our democracy, mm-hmm. especially when they took an oath to protect and defend our Constitution.
0: So, so she won't absolve you. You can't get last rights from Kamala Harris. And as you know, if you don't get an absolution from Kamala Harris, uh, you spend eternity in a room listening to a recording of her laughing. It's, oh, my God, you don't, you don't want to go there. You want to definitely get, be able to get last rights from Kamala Harris. So if this, is, if this is the state of dishonesty among the Democrats, among the media who cover the Democrats, and then among social media who kick us off uh, their platforms, which is a way that we all communicate with each other. Some of us make money on the platforms. Some of us are, advertise our business on the platforms. They kick you off that, which is a serious thing if you go against the lies that they're telling until those lies then become the standard truth, and then you're allowed back on to say these things. I mean, even if you say that men can't become women, which is just a literal truth, men can't become women. But but let's talk about the last time we had a big right-wing conspiracy, which was when we said, oh, you know, I, I, this this virus, and it was Tom Cotton again who brought this out, this virus looks like it came from a lab in Wuhan, right? How stupid were they? This is how ABC reported that story uh, about the 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 fact that the virus was manufactured, maybe accidentally, maybe not, at a lab in Wuhan. This morning, Dr. Anthony Fauci is shooting down theories that the coronavirus was man-made. He tells National
1: Geographic everything about the stepwise evolution over time strongly indicates that this virus evolved in nature and then jumped species. Fauci added he does not believe another theory that the virus occurred naturally but was accidentally released into the public from a lab in China, telling Nat Geo that means it was in the wild to begin with. That's why I don't get what they're talking about. It comes after both President Trump and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo linked the virus to a lab in Wuhan without providing evidence.
0: Have you seen anything at this point that gives you a high degree of confidence? that the Wuhan Institute of Virology was the origin of this virus? Yes,
2: I have. There's enormous evidence that that's where this began. I can tell you that there is a significant amount of evidence that this came from that laboratory in Wuhan.
0: That rotten Trump and Mike Pompeo were denying the great Anthony Fauci. And remember, the left is burning candles with Anthony Fauci's face on it. Now, I'm doing that, too, just because I like to see the wax drip in his eyes. But now we find out, here's from The Telegraph, which is in England, because the English papers are reporting more than the American papers are. Leading British and U.S. scientists thought it was likely that COVID accidentally leaked from a laboratory, but were concerned that further debate would harm science in China. Emails show an email from Sir Jeremy Farrar, director of the Wellcome Trust On February in February 2020, remember the date, February 2020, said that a likely explanation was that COVID had rapidly evolved from a SARS-like virus inside human tissue in a low-security lab. This email to Dr. Anthony Fauci and Dr. Francis Collins of the U.S. National Institutes of Health went on to say that such evolution may have accidentally created a virus primed for rapid transmission between humans, but a leading scientist told Sir Jeremy that further debate would do unnecessary harm to science in general and science in China in particular. Dr. Collins, the former director of the U.S. National Institutes of Health, warned it could damage international harmony. And we have Collins writing to Fauci saying, how do we get rid of this? And Fauci saying, well, it's just a bright, shiny object. It'll go away. Don't worry about this. So a year, now this is a year later after those emails, after Fauci had those emails, this is uh, Marco Rubio engaging with Fauci over this, over this question.
1: Why did you dismiss the lab leak theory as, as credible? I have always said that the high likelihood is that this is a natural occurrence. I didn't dismiss anything. I just said it's a high likelihood that this is a natural occurrence from the environment of an animal reservoir that we have not yet identified.
0: And I still maintain that. So then they come to us and they say, why are you developing these conspiracy theories? Why are you falling for this stuff that the FBI may have started January 6th? Why are you watching Tucker Carlson? How come you're not taking the vaccines when we tell you to take the vaccines? We need a mandate because you're not doing what we told you to do simply because we've lied to you in every instance along the way. That just doesn't seem fair to us that we can't lie to you. And then when we tell you to do something, you won't do it. And again, I'm for the vaccines. I think if you're vulnerable, you should take the vaccines. But that's not the point. That's not the point. The point is, we can't, it's not us, it's them. What needs to be fixed is not the filibuster, it's the Buster in the White House, who is just a mean little man spewing lies with a vast, vast army of reporters and Hollywood writers and academicians backing him up. That is the problem. Which brings me to Ghislaine Maxwell. And I have to give Ann Coulter credit for this. She wrote two columns. You know, she writes really good columns. She's a really good writer, really good researcher. And she hasn't been as uh, prominent lately. hasn't been on all the shows lately, but her column is still terrific. And she did a couple of articles on this Ghislaine Maxwell trial and some of the testimony that came out that was reported in exactly two, exactly two American papers, even though it was in the British papers. Okay. Now, remember... Prosecutors love to prosecute celebrities. They love it, right? It makes them look great. I mean, they put Martha Stewart in jail for some (laughs) stupid inside trading thing. And uh, admittedly, it did improve the sheets uh, in the prison. But other than that, putting Martha Stewart in jail was, I mean, the streets were so much safer with Martha Stewart off the streets. But they love, they love prosecuting celebrities. But nobody seems to have offered Ghislaine Maxwell a deal to come out and talk about who was screwing Jeff Epstein's little girls? Who was he peddling these girls to? And what did he then have on them? Because he apparently, well, listen listen to this story from the testimony, right? This is the testimony. It was covered in two American papers, and Ann Coulter is spreading it around. Good for her. Because the British are talking about it, because obviously Ghislaine Maxwell is, is one of them. An FBI agent, Special Agent Kelly McGuire, testified in the trial about the search of uh, Jeffrey Epstein's Manhattan townhouse, right? This was before he was put in prison where he was suicided, right? And th- we knew that they came up with all this stuff, with jewelry and all this. But now in the trial, she testified that they also came up with, uh, with computer uh, disks. And in these hard drives, right? And in these hard drives, th- they found them in a safe. And they were asked, Kelly McGuire was asked, how did you get into the safe? She said, we brought a saw. So they were ready. They came in. They sawed open the safe. They came out with this, and they came out with these hard drives. What was in these? Apparently, there was an enormous collection of photos of naked young women and possibly the men that they were having sex with, the influential men they were having sex with. So so Jeffrey Epstein is having these, these women sleep with influential men, taking movies of it, but he wouldn't be blackmailing them or anything like that. He wouldn't be using this to get power over them or to get money out of them because nobody knows how Jeffrey Epstein got so rich. Nobody even knows where his money comes from. Nothing, nothing in the press, nothing. What happened to these hard drives? Where are they? Well, they'll tell you. The agents left. The agents left. They abandoned the photos and the CDs with Epstein's employees all over the townhouse. They're wandering all over the townhouse. And Kelly McGuire says that They only had a warrant to search the house, but not to remove evidence, (laughs) a warrant to remove evidence. And they couldn't spare an FBI agent to stay around and make sure nobody tampered with the evidence. They just left it there. The CDs and the photographs disappeared. And by the time this is reading Ann's uh, column, by the time the FBI returned with a new warrant four days later to remove the CDs and photos, they were gone. How, How... Who would do that? Who would do such a thing? Later, after a few phone calls, Epstein's lawyer, Richard Kahn, returned the uh, material in two suitcases, but we don't know whether the videos were tampered with, we don't know whether they were gone, we don't know if all the photos were there, we do not know. And at the same time as this is going on, by the way, prosecutors quietly revealed that weeks earlier they had dismissed all the charges against the prison guards who failed to check on Epstein. For more than eight hours the night he allegedly committed suicide. And here's Ann Coulter again pointing out that the feds not only did not move Epstein to a super maximum security prison, as some observers recommended, but they also, the day before Epstein died, he was taken off suicide watch. Against orders, his cellmate was transferred elsewhere, leaving Epstein completely alone. In his cell, all the cameras on Epstein's floor were mysteriously broken, even the footage of his earlier suicide attempt had been mistakenly erased and the backup footage destroyed as a result of technical errors, quote, unquote. But if you have a conspiracy theory about this, you're a nutty right-winger, okay? Virginia Jeffrey, who was one of the women who was uh, abused, and there's that picture of her with uh, Prince Andrew, She has named some of these people. She has said that some of the people who were there, Prince Andrew, uh, former Harvard professor Alan Dershowitz, who has been on the show, former New Mexico governor and presidential candidate Bill Richardson, former Senate majority leader George Mitchell, Mitchell, French model scout Jean-Luc Brunel, and hedge fund billionaire Glenn Dubin. Dershowitz, by the way, strenuously denies these charges, we should say, but... The the suit that uh, Virginia has filed against Prince Andrew has just been declared that it will the judges just declared that that will go on so maybe we'll hear uh, some some more about these people. Meanwhile, I've brought this story up once before. Zero other people are covering this story, and I have to bring it up just just to remind you about it. I don't have anything on this. I don't have any special knowledge about it. But I just have to bring it up because I just want to put a marker down on this story. There is a woman, a 39-year-old woman named Heidi Plunk, attractive blonde lady, who vanished in highly suspicious circumstances after attending her 11-year-old son's flag football game in Los Angeles on October 17th. The LAPD has said in a statement that it appears that she died at the apartment building where she was last seen, and they have been searching the Chiquita Canyon landfill, which is connected to that building, looking, obviously, for her body. Heidi Planck worked for a guy named Jason Sugarman, who we can see in this picture uh, that was exclusively gotten by The Sun off a blog site, uh, we can see him partying at an Oscar party in Hollywood with Ghislaine Maxwell. Okay, this is Jason Sugarman parting with Ghislaine Maxwell. Here's the photo. Heidi's ex-husband, Jim Wayne, who was the first reporter missing, has previously claimed that the cops are looking into her job as an accountant for Camden Capital, where Jason Sugarman is the boss, all right? Sugarman is currently facing a civil case. I know these things get very complicated, but at least keep keep, uh, this in mind. A woman has disappeared. She worked for a guy named Jason Sugarman, who partied with Ghislaine Maxwell, and Sugarman is currently facing a civil case brought by the Securities and Exchange Commission. The SEC is charging with a scam against Native Americans, where he stole $43 million against a Native American tribe. Okay. Woman disappears. Her boss is Sugarman. Sugarman's former business partner, partner is Jason Galanis, who is in prison because he was convicted of this conspiracy against the Indian tribe. Galanis is a career criminal who was once dubbed porn's new king. He hangs out with uh, people from the Gambino crime family, and he hangs out with—he used Hunter Biden's name to draw people into this scheme, right? Hunter Biden was described in a promotional research as vice chairman for Burnham Financial Group. Two of the convicted co-conspirators in Indian bonds fraud are Devin Archer and Bevan Cooney. And here's Arthur Archer, pictured with Hunter Biden and the big guy, Joe Biden. Okay, here's a picture of these guys. This is just, this is not tenuous connections. These are all people who work together, all people who were charged in a scam. And now a woman has vanished and is presumed dead by the LAPD, who's connected to these people. And her ex-husband says they're researching these people. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not stretching out a conspiracy theory. All I'm saying is in a world where we know that corrupt people are not only routinely screwing underage children, possibly being blackmailed by Jeffrey Epstein, possibly arranging for Jeffrey Epstein to suicide him, him to be suicided in prison. I want to know. I want to know why, if, if this were Donald Trump, I mean, I hate to use it, it's cliche, but if this were Donald Trump and I could draw those connections, would every paper in the country not be covering this at the, as a headline? What the hell happened to Heidi Plank and why? Where is she? And what what is the connection of all these people and how connected are they to Hunter Biden? Here's another conspiracy theory that you got kicked off Twitter for using, you know, When you have this kind of corruption and abuse at the highest levels, and and you have the information systems that are built to expose this abuse at the highest levels, and when those informations do, in fact, try to expose that abuse when a Republican is in power, especially a Republican who's as much of a loose cannon as Donald Trump, and then they go absolutely silent absolutely silent when it's a Democrat, and a Democrat who we know is a lying, mean-spirited little man, we know from his history, and yet the press goes absolutely quiet, we're left on our own. We are left on our own, and some of our conspiracy theories are going to be nutty, like QAnon, and some of them are going to be like Clavinon, which is just the facts right in front of you that young women are routinely and young boys, if you include Hollywood, are routinely being abused. This is routinely being covered up. We do not know of the blackmail systems that were in place to cover it and and to. keep people under control. The first time they tried to charge Jeffrey Epstein, remember this one of the guys in the Trump administration had to quit. He said, well, I was told he was with intelligence and I should leave him alone. We just don't know. We just don't know where this leads. And we, you know, we have a right to demand that people go after this. This is the stuff that people should be going after. You know, I just want to end with this. We have been talking a lot about the Great Reset. I was one of the first people to jump on this. This is the World Economic Forum. This is how they describe it. As we enter a unique window of opportunity to shape the recovery, this is because of the pandemic, this initiative will offer insights to help inform all those determining the future state of global relations, the direction of national economies, the priorities of societies, the nature of business models, and the management of a global commons. And right-wingers immediately reacted, saying, wait a minute, we don't want these Davos clowns telling us how we should be spending our money. And the BBC and the New York Times said, oh, the conspiracy theories. Here, they even put out a, uh, a video. Here's a video with Prince Charles narrating.
2: In order to secure our future and to prosper, We need to evolve our economic model, putting people and planet at the heart of global value creation. If there is one critical lesson we have to learn from this crisis, we need to put nature at the heart of how we operate. We are on the verge of catalytic breakthroughs that will alter our view of what is possible and profitable within the framework of a sustainable future. We need nothing short of a paradigm shift, one that inspires action at revolutionary levels and pace. We simply cannot waste any more time. The only limit is our willingness to act.
0: So they want to revolution, he ended the speech by saying, and now I have to go and pull my brother Andrew off the 15 year old girl he's raping and go home to my former mistress. Maybe these guys want to reframe the economies of the world. They want to reframe the economies of the world. And we don't even know who the hell they are or what they're up to. You know, if you're on the side of the deep state and the media and the academy and big business and Hollywood, you're not in the resistance. You're the stents. You're the problem, right? Every delay, every way of delaying the uses of power of the powerful, the filibuster, the Supreme Court, rebel media like the Daily Wire should be supported and kept in place to keep the power where it belongs. The real resistance, the only resistance, the only revolutionary political act in the last centuries has been the writing of the Constitution. It is the Constitution that slows people down, that sets power centers off against one another to keep them from doing all the things they want to do. These are not good people. I don't care who they are. I don't care if they're our people or their people. People with power are the last people you want to have power. This is always true, has always been true. The powerful are the last people you want to have power. You want the power where you can keep your hands on it, you want the power with the people. The Constitution is a brilliant system, a brilliant system for keeping that in place. When they try to destroy it, when they try to pack the Supreme Court, get rid of the Electoral College, take over the voting system, that's when they have to be stopped, not because of who we are, but because of who they are, because of who they are. One of the things the staff at the Andrew Clavin Show says to me a lot is, please, please don't use ZipRecruiter because we like our jobs. You know, if you are working, running a uh, fast-growing business, you probably need to hire a lot of people as soon as possible. There is only one place to go, ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash You can easily review recommended candidates and invite your top choices to apply for your job, which encourages them to apply faster. It's no wonder ZipRecruiter is the number one rated hiring site in the US based on G2 ratings. The reason is they don't want their businesses to look like this show. ZipRecruiter technology is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. I'm still waiting for a quality. I've been on the air like seven years. I still haven't gotten a quality candidate. You can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ziprecruiter.com slash Claven. That's ziprecruiter.com slash Claven. And you may say to yourself, how do you spell Claven? If you don't know right now, you probably were not hired using ZipRecruiter. It's K L A V A N, ZipRecruiter. It's the smartest way to hire. Coming up, we're going to have an interview with a priest, Father Longnecker, who has written a book about materialism in our society. And one of the points that I'd like to make before we have that interview is that that materialism, which I think is the source of a lot of our uh, grief um, and a lot of the dysfunction that we have in our society, is is not an accidental thing. It is not an accidental thing. It is being piped into our culture. Um, You know, the character of God, God as a person, God as a presence, is actually being deleted from our culture on purpose. And I'll tell you what I mean. You know, when you read Shakespeare, you watch a Shakespeare play, a lot of people will tell you that Shakespeare is a secular writer. Uh, And I disagree with that. I think that uh, that Shakespeare is the most Christian uh, writer because he sees every character in full right? And he puts him in a moral context. Each character is in a moral web. So when you see Richard III, you see a guy who has determined to be a villain, uh, and he kills his way to the throne. And then as he is ready for the final battle, uh, Bosworth Field, I believe, yes, Uh, he he suddenly is visited by the ghosts of the people he's killed. And each one of them says to him, despair and die. (laughs) That's the counsel that his victims give him because he has in in violating the moral web, he has violated something within himself, something that is actually implanted in himself like Raskolnikov in Crime and Punishment. And so we see that we're living in this moral world that is informed by Christianity, even if uh, God isn't walking around and angels don't show up and there aren't miracles going on. But what's happening now is very different. And I will tell a story. I've told this story before, but it's, it's a personal story. But it's worth telling again in this context, which is that in... Uh, around 2009, 2008, I was contacted by Thomas Nelson, a Christian publisher, and they asked me if I would do some young adult adventure stories specifically geared to boys, because there aren't a lot of young adult stories for boys. They felt too many of them are are just for girls, and they wanted me to do something for boys. And I said, sure, but I want you to know that they contacted me because they had read that I had become a Christian, and I said, I want you to know I'm not gonna preach to people. I don't believe that makes good for good storytelling. I don't believe that it actually advances anything. What All I will do is I will make my hero a Christian. That's the only thing I'm going to do. He's going to be a Christian. He's going to act like a Christian kid would act. uh, And he's going to do the things a Christian kid would do in the midst of this dangerous situation that I'll put him in. Uh, And my character was named Charlie West, and the books were called The Homelanders. The Homelanders were a very successful series. They did really well, uh, and uh, and they're still selling. I'm still making royalties off them, and, and kids, and especially boys who don't read Very much love the Homelanders books, and they're really taken with them. So I sold them in several countries, and I got a very good deal for them in England. And one day I came home, and there was a package on my desk, and it was a manuscript from England. Uh, that had been that wanted me to edit it. Now that doesn't usually happen. Usually, England just takes the American edit and puts it into England, so they'll translate tire to t y r e. But other than that, they will leave it alone. And I said, Well, what? Why am I editing? Do I have to edit the English copy? And they said, Well, they want you to take out references to God. And I said, What do you mean? And they said, Well, they just want you to edit some stuff out. So I'm going to give you an example. Uh, Charlie West is on the run. The police think he's a murderer. The terrorists are trying to hunt him down. And he, in one of the books, he's in a bathroom and he's attacked by a killer. He's a karate guy. He knocks the killer out and he steals his wallet. And this is what he says. This is a quote from the book. He says, I searched his pockets. In his right front pocket, I found a silver money clip with about $200 in it. Yes, I know the Ten Commandments, and yes, I know you're not supposed to steal, but this didn't feel like stealing. The guy was a killer after all. He was my killer if he'd had his way. I figured he owed me at least this much. I stuffed the cash into my pocket, and the British editors wanted me to take out the reference to the Ten Commandments. They said, well, why can't he just know that he doesn't steal? And I said, because he's a Christian. These are his reference points, and I wouldn't do it. And they said, you have to do it, because if you don't do it, Waterstones, the largest uh, bookseller in the country, will not order anywhere near as many books. They will order just a few books because they do not want this kind of content in their bookstores. And I said, if he were a Jew and they were asking me to take him out because they don't like Jews, or a Muslim and they were asking me to take out the Koran, you would understand why I can't do that. Both they and my agent came back to me five times saying, you have to do this. And I kept saying... I can't. It's, it's, it's wrong. It's actually wrong. You know, the other day, my wife told me I was ornery. And I said, ornery me? And she said, anyone who knows you would say you're ornery. And I was thinking about this story, and I thought, maybe I am ornery. But I cannot understand how anyone could do it. I wouldn't do it. And in fact, they, Waterstones cut the number, the order of the books, and the books did not do well in England because they couldn't get in and sell them. My point is simply this. They were purposely editing out the reason this kid... Felt that he shouldn't steal this money, right? It is different. It is different for God to infuse your vision as he does in Shakespeare and for him to be purposely edited out, edited out so you can't mention him, right? Those are two very different things. So you're being lied to. You're being lied to because well, the way the culture works, culture is not propaganda. I know that right-wingers think this all the time. What culture does is it creates a kind of cloud of what you know around you. It surrounds you. It creates your conscience. This is what James Joyce said. He said it creates the uncreated conscience of the race. And so all of this stuff surrounds you. And those of you who write to me and says, well, you know, Christianity is kind of a, a you know coping me- uh, mechanism or a crotch or something like this. Uh, you know, that is being piped into your... Um, into your mind, purposely by the people in Hollywood and in publishing uh, who are doing this. Now, the culture right now, in my estimation, is struggling to find a picture of decent manhood. We went through a, a great golden age of television for a couple of years, and most of that centered around bad men, but they were attractive to us because they were men. The most obvious one of these is Breaking Bad, who starts out as a henpecked husband and ends up as a great big gangster who says to his wife, you know, I'm the one who comes for people. I'm the, I'm the man who knocks. But there was also Tony Soprano, who was a manly man, uh, but a, a villain. Uh, Vic Mackey in The Shield, one of the better uh, of these shows. They were outlaw men. The only exception was actually Justified, uh, starring Nick Cersei and some other guy. No, it was starring Tim Ollivant and Nick Searcy. also was great in it. But that was about an old-fashioned Gary Cooper cowboy dealing with the fact that he lived in this modern world where it was very hard for men to be men. But now we're trying to find, we're struggling, you can see it in the culture, we're struggling to find what a decent man looks like and can we tell stories about decent men. And and yet, and yet, we can't accept that one of the things that makes decent men decent is a connection to the moral universe. In the first season of Justified, they ask, uh, Oliphant's character, the, this, the hero, do you believe in God? And he says, yes, I do. It's very, uh, very clear, and it's very clear that this is something that's guiding him. Today, we have this glaring example. I've talked about this in one of my bonus videos that you get if you subscribe to my YouTube channel. Uh, I talked about Ted Lasso. And I started watching Ted Lasso. I think I watched the entire first season. And I thought, you know, this is dishonest. This is Jason Sudeikis. Uh, it's a it's a character who was from a NBC sports promo. And they gave him an entire uh, story of his own. And what he is is he's this American coach. He's brought over to coach English soccer, uh, what they call football, for some strange reason. Uh, but he's brought over to coach even though he doesn't know anything about soccer, but what he brings with him is this incredible, upbeat attitude, a kind of uh, it-can-be-done uh, attitude. And he is obviously, obviously an ev- evangelical Christian. He is Ned Flanders from The Simpsons. Now, Ned Flanders from The Simpsons is a really interesting character. I'm talking about the old Simpsons when it was still a good show, in that we make fun of him because of his ridiculous uh, version of God. His version of God is so, you know, uh, is so uh, happy-go-lucky and always there. Here's a scene from The Simpsons uh, where he basically is filming a, a documentary or he's doing his own movie about Moses being left in the, in the basket, and Moses, the baby, is swept away and he prays to God to save him.
1: Lights, camera, act! diddly-doddly-diddly, action, Jackson. Help me!
3: Flanders to God! Flanders to God! Get off your cloud and save Mike Todd! Oh,
1: yay! yay! <laughs> Thanks, God!
0: Oakley-dokely. Oakley, Oakley. So, <laughs> Ned Flanders' God is Ned Flanders up in heaven. He's just a gigantic Ned Flanders. But he's there. See, this is the, one of the things about this, especially the early Simpsons. The God is actually there. He's just not the God that we think he is. He's, he's a much more complex uh, character than Ned Flanders. So Ned Flanders is funny uh, in his faith, but his faith is not basically just floating there. Ted Lasso is Ned Flanders, but God has been excised. From his character, he, he re- always refers to God as a woman. Uh, he talks about, there's a Christmas episode, and he talks about Christmas being Santa's birthday. Uh, he's constantly, constantly dissing God. And there's a, a Christian blogger named Mike Frost who noticed this, and he wrote this, this is really interesting. He said... He said, some might say I'm nitpicking here. See, this is because he doesn't understand that this is being done on purpose. This is Hollywood doing this on purpose. He says, the show is made by Apple TV, not TBN. After all, I don't expect Ted Lasso to start preaching the gospel. I'm just saying the complete lack of any reference to anything remotely religious or Christian seems glaring when the show itself is so Christian. And then he quotes a book, Mark Sayers and Disappearing Church. He says, today, we want the kingdom without the king. Sayers says, post-Christianity is ultimately the project of the West to move beyond Christianity whilst feasting on its fruit. Thus, it constantly offers us options and off-ramps in which we seemingly can have what we enjoy about faith, but without the sacrifices and commitments. And uh, the blogger Mike Frost Uh, continues, Ted Lasso offers the promise of a Christless kind of Christianity, a world of repaired relationships, multi-ethnic banquets, and renewed souls with no reference to Christ himself. And in Sayers' mind, that makes it part of an insidious push in Western culture to use soft power to eat away at our commitments. It is part of an insidious, I mean, the story that I'm telling you about England, it is part of an insidious push to take Christ out of the equation. They want to be decent, but they don't want to let go. This is one of the things that really gets me about Ted Lasso. It's very much in support of casual sex, of one-night stands. You'll see Ted Lasso have a one-night stand and kind of feel uncomfortable about it, but you don't know why he should feel uncomfortable about it, and then everybody talks him out of it. Why are you being un- you know, feeling uncomfortable about it? And Ted Lasso grows into uh, you know an acceptance of casual sex because he has nothing to anchor him to anything else, and it's, it's truly... A lie. It is a lie. They want they want the gold apple, but they don't want to let go of the babe in their hands, to, so they can put their hands on the golden apple of, of God. You know, there's another show, and I've also talked about this show on uh, on the exclusive YouTube content that I think is just great. It's called Line of Duty, and it's by a really talented writer named Jed Mercurio. Some of you may have seen The Bodyguard, which I didn't like as much as Line of Duty, but he's Jed Mercurio is a good crime writer. He really knows how to plot well, and he writes terrific characters, and I really like him. But there's a character on the show that I have loved from the beginning, and I'm only talking about the first three seasons of the show because I don't want to give too much away. There's a character named Ted Hastings, who is played brilliantly by a Northern Irish writer-actor named Adrian Dunbar. and. He is the guy who runs the anti-corruption unit in this uh, police force. And that's one of the ways the show is exploring decency is by having an anti-corruption unit, the guy who goes after the cops like Vic Mackey from The Shield. And he—he's Ted Hastings runs this anti-corruption unit. And we know that his wife deserted him because he invested their money without telling her and lost the money. So his wife has left him. And his wife is not very forgiving and not very nice about it, but he's living alone. And yet, Ted Hastings won't cheat on her. He says that he was a virgin when he married. He waited until he was married. He's a little bit appalled by all the young men around him who are constantly sleeping around. And when somebody else tries to seduce him, he says, I made vows. I can't get around that. I cannot get around the fact that I made vows. Later, the woman who tried to seduce him turns out to be at the heart of a massive, massive nationwide corruption uh, that is about the abuse of young people, young people for sex. Uh, And we know that this is basically pervasive in British society, according to this show. And the reason, the reason that Ted Hastings can stand up against this corruption is because he didn't sleep with her, because he kept his vows to his marriage, even though his wife has unfairly uh, deserted him. And so here's the scene between Ted Hastings and this woman as she tries to get him to sign on to the corruption.
2: Anti-corruption is a double-edged sword. We need to find just enough bank coppers to avoid accusations of a cover-up, but not so many that the public starts to wonder if the police can be trusted.
0: So we let Patrick Fairbank just slip through the net because of all the peers and the politicians and the police officers he might implicate. Meanwhile, we go back to chasing disc jockeys and what? Game show hosts. I'm just doing my job. And I'm doing mine. And it's called Nick and Bent Coppers. And I don't care whether
2: it's one rotten apple or the whole bloody barrel. There's a line, it's called right and wrong.
0: And I know which side my duty lies. So why don't you write a nice letter of resignation to the PCC or I swear to God, I will drag you down with the rest of so, so one man standing against an entire corrupt society because he's able to do this because he did not sleep with this woman, because he made vows to a woman who has walked out on him. And, and Ted Hastings has become a big deal in England. They love him and they especially love his Tedisms, which are these little sayings that he always has. Among them are these. Mother of God. 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 Mother of God,
2: Mother
0: of God, Mother 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 of God, Mother
2: God, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph.
0: He obviously comes from a Catholic background. We never see him in church, we never see him pray, we never see any of this, but we know that this guy is informed by Christianity, and that's why he is who he is, right? And this is, and that's honest writing, because that is who he would be. All I'm just saying, if you want to argue you can be a good person and still sleep around or live without faith, you can go in hard and make that argument, but make it honestly. Come on out and say that this is what you're saying. What I'm saying to you is the culture is lying to you. In the same way that when politicians and the press lie, we should question everything they say. When the culture lies, when Hollywood lies, we should question the assumptions that they are trying to create in our minds. Many people ask me, why can't I get car parts easily, and how come I never get a date? The answer may be the same in both cases. It may be because you're not using rockauto.com. When you use rockauto.com, you get to say Rock Auto. Com. And when you say that, the women will show. They'll be knocking at your door. Also, your car will run because you won't go down and wait and sit in your car, which isn't running because it needs a part, and sit there hoping somebody will bring you a part or roll down the hill <laughs> to the car parts store where they don't know anything more about your car than you do. You'll just be able to go on your computer at rockauto.com. You'll have to fight the women off because the minute you say that, they'll be swarming you. They'll be swarming all over you because they'll know here is a man who knows how to get car parts off his computer computer at an excellent price. RockAuto.com, the prices are always reliably low. They're the same for professionals as do-it-yourselfers. It's an amazing selection, and their catalog is really easy to use, and you get to say RockAuto.com, which will improve your love life. Go to RockAuto.com and see all the parts available for your car or truck and write Claven in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. And also, they have a little box that says, how do you spell Claven? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. So yesterday, the Daily Wire made history. The Supreme Court heard oral arguments last Friday on the Biden administration's obscenely tyrannical mandate that would require companies with 100 employees or more to force those employees to get vaccinated or take weekly tests. The Daily Wire was one of the first in the nation to file suit against the obscene federal overreach. And I'm thrilled to tell you that the highest court in the land has effectively struck down the mandate. The mandate itself set a dangerous precedent that the unelected OSHA held power over the personal medical decisions of American citizens. The Supreme Court recognized this gross power grab and has rightfully chosen to uphold the medical freedom of working class Americans everywhere. And we are proud to have been one of the few leading the charge in this fight. We could not have done it without you. Thousands of you joined us to help us in this fight and over a million signed our petition against the mandates. And we will need you. We're going to continue to take the fight to the left because when it comes to preserving our freedom, you can never rest. Join us today at dailywire.com slash subscribe and be a part of the conservative movement to keep our freedoms and values alive. If you use the code winning, winning, we will give you 40% off. If you haven't heard of Jonathan Isaac yet, then you might be living under a rock. The NBA star stood strong with his values while everyone else kneeled and faced heavy criticism from the media for his views on social issues and vaccines over the past few years, which is why I'm very excited to announce that he's decided to write a book with The Daily Wire. It's called Why I Stand. Jonathan's book will be about the rise of his basketball career, his journey into faith, and his strength to stand alone in the face of immense pressure here we have a little teaser to show you the orlando magic's 23-year-old starting forward is deeply
1: religious and proudly unvaccinated on friday isaac got attention for choosing not to kneel in unison with his teammates or to wear a black lives matter shirt my name is jonathan isaac i play for the orlando magic and i'm writing a book with the daily wire courage does not mean the absence of fear And in today's day, there are so many things that you can be afraid of facing because of believing what you believe or deciding to stand for what you believe in. And I believe this book gives you a blueprint of my story of how Christ has made the difference in my life. From a young kid who struggled with fear, anxiety, uh, self insecurity, to a man willing to stand for what he believes in.
0: How cool is that? I just love the fact that we are taking the fight to every corner of the culture, not just the news media. Jonathan's book will be one of the first under The Daily Wire's new publishing arm, DW Books, its clever name, and we couldn't be happier to have him on board. The book is available for pre-order now at Amazon, so reserve your copy today. All right. Our guest today is Father Dwight Longnecker, and I'm really interested in a book he's written. He has been a, a very prolific writer about theology, apologetics, biblical commentary, and Catholic culture. But his new book is called Beheading Hydra, a radical plan for Christians in an atheistic age. So you can tell why I'm interested in talking to him. Father, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate thanks for it. The,
3: thanks for the invitation. Glad to be here.
0: Before we get to talk about beheading Hydra, I just want to, you, you move from the Anglican Church, where I now uh, am, into the uh, Catholic Church. I'd be interested to just hear a little bit about how that journey took place.
3: Um, well, how long do you have? <laughs> <laughs> because the journey actually began in the, as an evangelical Protestant here in the States. And um, I became, uh, while I was at college, an Anglican, and I came down with a serious illness called Anglophilia. Uh, the, lo- the love of all things English. And I had the opportunity, therefore, to go and study theology at Oxford, which for anybody with Anglophilia and um, loving C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien and so forth, it's kind of like Mecca is for the Muslims, you know. So I was there for three years to study theology, and the door opened up for me to, to be a priest in the Anglican Church, in the church in England. And it was during my time there that um, I made a pilgrimage, hitchhiking from Jerus- from England to Jerusalem. Staying in monasteries all along the way, and this got me deeper into the Catholic faith, um, and realized that actually, uh, in Anglicanism, I had gone back to England like five hundred years. But then, traveling across France and Italy and Greece to the Holy Lands, it was kind of like going back in time, uh, further and dip further into the cat. And there, I found the Catholic Church, um, which was the the Church of antiquity.
0: Ah, Okay. Um, so. The heading Hydra, a great title. Uh, obviously, the Hydra, a multi-headed beast, and every time you cut off one of his heads, uh, more grow back. Who who is the Hydra that you're referring to?
3: Well, the Hydra, if you remember your um, your Greek mythology, as you say, is a multi-headed beast um, that lives in the swamps of Lerna. So, um, if if Washington is a swamp, then maybe there's an applicability there. Um, and the swamps of Lerna are the the swamps. Uh, Lerna is a a, a fetid lake, which is at the gates of hell. So the Hydra is a beast from hell, basically, a demonic beast with multiple heads that are like serpents. And when the hero, Hercules, cuts one off, two more grow back in its place. So I use this image from Greek mythology to um, be a kind of symbol of the different forms of atheism, which are in our society, all through our society, um, which are... Very insidious, and sure enough, you cut well, the head off of one and two more grow back in its place.
0: And that that's a pretty good description of the general culture going on. I, I, I read a, a book recently uh, by a, an atheist named Yuval Harari, who says, uh, it's called Homo Deus, and he he says that Christianity is no longer a creative force in the world. He admits that, that the uh, Vatican was once, as he puts it, the Silicon Valley of the Middle Ages, but he says now... Uh, all that Christianity does is react. And he, he says this, he says, biologists invent the contraceptive pill and the Pope doesn't know what to do about it. Computer scientists develop the internet and rabbis argue whether Orthodox Jews should be allowed to surf it. Feminist thinkers call upon women to take possession of their bodies and learn, learned muftis debate how to confront such incendiary ideas. Has he, has he got a point? Is Christianity no longer a creative force the way it was in the Middle Ages?
3: Well, you actually mentioned Christianity with about four other religions there. I think he's probably talking about religion being a a reactive force. He is, yes. You know, I always get a little bit leery when people talk about Catholicism or the church or Christianity uh, in general terms, because of course, Christianity is made up of Christians um, and Catholicism is made up of individual Catholics. And I would argue that when you get away from this institutional mentality about the church and about Catholicism, you find a huge amount of creativity and entrepreneurial spirit amongst individual Catholics at the local level. I'm always for the little guy. I'm always for what's happening at the local level uh, and what's happening in, in, and I find uh, a huge sources of creativity within the the Catholic church and the Christianity generally um, in the world today, but but perhaps not in Western culture in, in Europe and America so much. But if you go to Africa and India and Asia and the Philippines there's a huge amount of vitality and life uh, in the Catholic Church still.
0: So if if you're right, and I think it's hard to argue that you're not, that we now have a culture that is like this uh, hydra, what, what are the effects that you're seeing? What What is it that makes you say uh, that we're living in this uh, hydra, you know, with this atheist monster running our yeah. culture? F-
3: f- first of all, The atheism in America today is very different from the atheism in which we witnessed, if you're old enough, in communist Russia and in Eastern Europe. When I was growing up, um, you know, the the Soviets had um, closed the seminaries, closed the religious publishing houses, tried to close down the church, um, and they were formally, explicitly an atheistic culture. A place like North Korea is still like that, okay? China technically still is an atheistic culture, although they're learning to live with forms of religion. Um, and uh, in America today, however, the atheism is much more subtle, it's woven into every aspect of our society, our politics, our media, our, education, our educational system, uh, with lots of different ideologies and philosophies which have developed over the last 500 years. It's kind of like we're now living in the inheritance that we have from uh, the Protestant Revolution, the um, Enlightenment the Industrial Revolution, the French Revolution, the Russian Revolution, the Sexual Revolution, uh, the Technological Revolution. We've had all these revolutions over the last 500 years, and modern contemporary America is the beautiful result.
0: And, And so what is it about the culture, you know, specifically that you look at and you think, well, this is the result of having an atheistic culture?
3: Well, what I do is I go through in the book, in the first half of the book, I lay out 16 different isms or 16 different um, ideologies that we all take for granted in, in America um, as being true and wonderful and good, and I show how as they're essentially atheistic and how this atheism is woven in through our culture and our mentality um, in such a way as to, as to make my claim that America is an atheistic culture. So one of those, for instance, is materialism. Materialism is not just um, going to the mall to shop until you drop, okay? Materialism is a philosophy. That's a symptom of materialism. Materialism is a philosophy that this material physical world is all there is. There is no supernatural realm. There's no life after death. There's no heaven, there's no hell. There's no angels, there's no demons. All that supernatural stuff is a load of fairy tale thinking. This physical world is all there is. So get used to it, okay? That's materialism. And that is held by an awful lot of people in our society who wouldn't necessarily wave a flag and say, hey, I'm a materialist. Um, It's simply an assumption that they take about reality.
0: Yeah, no, I think that 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 is definitely true. I guess what I'm I'm trying to get at is a a guy like uh, Steven Pinker writes these uh, books about how much better everything is. We're more peaceful. We're more healthy. Look at all the blessings of science. What's wrong with materialism?
3: Well, no, there's a lot that's good about it. And in the book, I point out and say we, we all have all benefited from the great advances of science and technology and health, new health care and all these other things. However, if that's all there is um, to life, then we all we soon realize that actually we're only here for a comparatively short period of time. Um, and if that's all there is, it's kind of a, a gesture of despair. So I'm going to live longer oh, that's great, but I'm not going to live forever. I think Woody Allen's pretty good on that sort of thing, where he sort of of expresses the angst of, I think in one of his films, in Love and Death, he says, it's okay living longer, but I don't want to live longer. I want to live forever. Right, right. Um, And and, and likewise, with all the advances that we've had in technology, uh, all the gadgets we have, you know, Netflix and iPhones and whatever else, terrific. It makes our life wonderful. All the healthcare we have, Great, but look how worried everybody is over COVID, you know? Um, so has it really solved our problems? Uh, I'm not convinced, actually.
0: So then, then how do you, you know, you, when you use a, uh, a metaphor like the hydra, and the book, again, is called A Beheading Hydra, A Radical Plan for Christians in an Atheistic Age by Father Dwight Longnecker. When you use the hydra as a metaphor, um, it's, it's pretty uh, daunting. It's pretty daunting to think that every time we cut a head off the materialist beast, uh, two are going to grow back. What kinds of responses do you think we should be making?
3: Well, the book, my, my audience, I'm a Catholic priest, so my audience are are, are um, Christians and essentially Catholic Christians. So in the second half of the book, I go through and I actually give 16 remedies that Christians can do to counter this atheism. And these are not philosophical arguments. These are not Um, theological arguments. These are actually practical things you can do, and some of them actually pinch a little, okay? So my answer to materialism, for instance, is tithe. The Christian principle of tithing is giving 10% of your income to your church or your charity, okay? If the symptom of materialism is greed and getting as much stuff as I can possibly get and relying only on my bank account and my pension plan and my annuities and and the insurance policies— then the antidote to that is to actually say, well, actually, I'm going to pull the rug out from that mentality by giving 10% of my income to, to the poor, to the charities, and to my church. So each of the answers that I create for the different the 16 different isms are practical things that Christians can do to live in a different way and therefore undermine this atheistic society by living a what I call subversive creativity.
0: That's, that's an interesting idea. So in other words, you're not talking about uh, changing the society. You're talking about changing the self. Is that fair to say?
3: Changing yourself, changing your community, your church, your school, your family. And actually, uh, there's an interesting book written by a sociologist. I darn, I forget his name. He's down in Texas, which is about how the Christian faith conquered the Roman Empire. And he basically says the Roman Empire was a cruel, bitter, bloodthirsty uh, society full of plague, fire, Um, devastation, overpopulation, huge problems. Uh, And Christianity comes into the middle of this and these are people who, even if they don't always succeed, they believe that you can love one another. They believe that husbands should love their wives, not treat them like slaves. They believe that women should have equal rights. They believe that children are valued. They should not be aborted and thrown in the trash heap or flushed down the toilet after they're born. And these Christians exist in this loving community. And the sociologist says, by the time Christianity became the state religion of Rome, already nearly half of the population in the major cities of Rome had been converted. But they weren't converted by an imperial edict. They were converted by the example of Christians who were living a radically radiant kind of life of goodness, truth, and beauty. And other people said, hey, I want what they have.
0: You know, I've often noticed that the um, the media is very good at taking Christians and immediately uh, cornering them into a place where they begin to seem small-minded uh, and condemnatory, to counter the kinds of things, that the kind of appeal that you're talking about. I had Carl uh, Truman on, and I know you admire him. I admire him very much. His, his uh, book is, is spectacular, I think. Uh, but I, I said to him, you know, there are ways in which our country, our culture has become more tolerant uh, as a materialist culture. I mean, we, we don't arrest gay people for being gay anymore. Uh, many churches have women preachers at, where the Catholic Church doesn't. Is there a way, is there a way that a materialist society is more tolerant and open uh, than a Christian society?
3: Yeah, uh, I, I don't know that that's true. It, you know, I don't know whether you've read um, Tom Holland's book, Dominion,
0: Yes. Yeah I, love okay. it. Yeah.
3: yeah, I was in correspondence with Tom about his book and um, and with Carl Truman, and Tom basically makes the, the, the very good point that all of the virtues that we consider to be uh, wonderful in this atheistic culture I'm talking about actually have their roots in Christianity. So the toleration you're talking about is actually a Christian virtue. Now, we may have been, as Christians, we may have been hypocrites and not practiced it as much as we should have <laughs> over the years. That's certainly true, okay? But It is at heart a Christian virtue. Um, Toleration is not something you find in the ancient pagan societies, okay? Um, I was reading the Psalms the other day, and the ancient Hebrew society was not tolerant. Uh, The psalmist is saying, thank God that you've given me the strength and and the energy to crush my enemies. I have crushed them under my feet. I have swept up their blood. The dogs have come and licked their blood from my city streets, and you know the kind of stuff. The ancient world was not a tolerant society. Toleration was not considered to be a virtue except for Christianity, who came along and Jesus said, guess what? You should love your enemy, okay? Bless those who curse you, okay? That is the root of toleration, being kind to your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is a Christian virtue.
0: You know, uh, I work in the field of the arts, I've spent my life in the arts, and and one of the things that I find very frustrating is that Christian art, which used to be the greatest art in the world, I mean, it is Christian ideology that created Bach and Michelangelo and Dostoevsky, um, it has now become kind of uh, vapid, in in my opinion. I mean, uh, you know, Schopenhauer called it banal optimism, yeah. Uh, Yeah, well, the, pro- the
3: problem with um, modern Christianity, which I outline in the book, is that actually the red-blooded supernatural religion, which Christianity really is, which um, comes face-to-face with the darkness of mankind and the darkness of human history and grapples with it and wrestles with it, which I really dealt with it in my book, Immortal Combat, which was the one just before this, this book. Um, that kind of red-blooded, supernatural, um, radiant Christianity has been transformed in America into something which has been called moralistic therapeutic deism. And that is simply um, moralism, a form of rules for respectability, basically. Therapeutic. um, Christianity has become sort of like uh, a version of Oprah Winfrey, okay? And deism, meaning that God is out there somewhere, but he doesn't really interfere in my life. And so modern mainstream Protestant Christianity, and I'm sorry to say, a huge chunk of my own church and the Catholic Church has become no more than moralistic, therapeutic deism, a kind of, as you said, a bland optimism. Let's just be nice to one another, but let's just be tolerant to one another and, and nothing more than toleration. Nothing more than church has become, you know, sermons where hip hop preachers stand up and say, you know, we're here to help you with your, your struggling marriage, with your troublesome teens. And if you have an addiction problem, come on Wednesday nights because we can help you with that, too. You know, that's not Christianity. That is kind of like, like I say, it's a it's a Oprah Winfrey with a cross, you know?
0: Yeah. Uh, well, my, my, my last question, you, you, someone comes to you and says, well, yeah, you know, I see there are a lot of problems in the world, but I've got my Netflix, you know, and I've got uh, some some dope and I've got a girlfriend, uh, boyfriend, whatever I've got. What what do I get? What what do you, what are you offering me uh, with a life of faith that I don't already have?
3: I would say, are you going to settle for that? <laughs> is that your life? Um, you know, Netflix and bonking and fast food takeaways, is that it? You know, and I would challenge them to say, you know, what about, what, who, who says that, you know, um, the vast number of mankind passed their life in a state of quiet desperation? Was that yeah. Thoreau?
0: It's Thoreau, I think, yeah. Yeah,
3: and, and Socrates, who says, you know, um, challenges those who live the unexamined life. So is that all you're going to settle for? Is that what you think your humanity is? Here we are at what some people would call the zenith of, of human civilization with all these gains that you've spoken about with materialism. And I want to say, is that what it's given us? Who, who, who has written about the internet, for instance, and saying, here we are where the ordinary person can access the, the Bach, a Bach B, is it the B minor mass or the Mozart clarinet concerto or What's his name? Playing the third Rachmaninoff's third piano concerto. Here's a, a civilization where, with your laptop, you can access all of the great art that's ever been produced, and look, you can go through a virtual tour of the Uffizi Gallery. You know, and you're going to sit there and play Candy Crush. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, yeah, yeah. This is so. This is where our great materialistic society has got us. You know, you can read Dostoevsky with your with with that gadget that you have in your hand, and and you're going to use look at porn instead. Yeah, I mean, yeah. This is, this is, so this is such a great society. I don't, I'm not sure about that.
0: Mm. The, uh, the book is called Beheading Hydra, A Radical Plan for Christians in an Atheistic Age. The author is Father Dwight Longenecker. Father, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. All right, it's that time again. If you have any problems left over from our last mailbag, prepare to shed them now because it is time once again for the mailbag.
1: Ouchie, give me that ouchie. I want it
0: in my body. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> the Biden administration is on it, folks. It is on it. All right, this is from James. I'm in my late 20s. I've considered myself agnostic my whole life. I always understood why people believed in God, but I always felt it was more of a coping mechanism for people rather than a real force beyond our understanding. I started dating this girl a few months back who was beautiful and loving Christian. She and I have conversations about re- religion. Recently, my dad has become severely ill and probably doesn't have much longer to live. It's been very hard to deal with. I've become uh, severely depressed. My girlfriend, who has been so helpful, has pushed me to try and seek help. She recommends that I go to a free grief group at a local church. Uh, I know I'm afraid they'll push the Bible on me, which worries uh, me. Um, I know she's right. Uh, My girlfriend says there's still wisdom in the Bible, even if you don't believe in it. Uh, He says, "You you, me, I've always had such interesting conversations about the Bible on your show. So I was wondering if you had any guidance for an agnostic like me as to where I can go in the Bible to seek guidance through grief. And my answer to this, which is going to get me in trouble with all my uh, believing listeners, is no, I do not. And the reason I do not have it, obviously I can think of things in the Bible that might speak into your grief, uh, but I'm not going to tell you what they are because you are running away from God into the Bible. The Bible uh, is not a book of magic. It's not a book that suddenly you're going to read something there and it's going to alleviate your grief. What your, um, what your girlfriend is telling you is right, you need to go and be with other people. First of all, I'm sorry uh, for your father's illness. I know that can be very painful. And when you say you're depressed, uh, it's possible you're not depressed, you're just sad. I mean, it's sad when somebody dies. It's just terribly, terribly sad. Uh, and with it, when it's your father, where there's usually complications in the relationship, uh, it means those complications will never be healed, uh, which is going to be true anyway. So, you know, it's, it is a very, very sad thing. Now, I identify with what you're saying when you say that God is a coping mechanism. That is what I thought when I was a younger person. And in fact, in the darkest days of my life, uh, in my late 20s, when I was in complete despair, I wouldn't turn to God at that moment specifically because I felt it was a crutch. And I thought if I were happy, maybe I would accept God. But since I'm miserable, uh, I don't want to accept God just as a crutch, which, of course, is kind of dopey when you think about it. But, But God had a response to that. I I didn't want to accept God. I didn't want to hear about God. I didn't want to hear, certainly, about uh, Christianity or Jesus. And God's response was to send me help uh, in forms that I could accept. So a a psychiatrist who cured, miraculously, I now believe, my illness, uh, was a non-believing Jewish guy. Uh, Nothing ever shocked him so much as when I went back to him years later and I said, you know, I've become a Christian. He didn't realize it was he who freed me to do that. Again and again, God approached me in ways that I could accept because God is not like people. People want praise and want recognition for helping you, but God doesn't care. He's going to help you anyway. Here's what I'm going to tell you. You are living in the middle of a miracle, and you don't know it. God is already helping you. God has already heard your call. He already knows your grief. He already knows your heart is hurting. Your girlfriend is a gift. She has been sent to you by a gift. If you don't want to go to this uh, religious grief group, Go to another grief group. It doesn't matter. God will be there. He will be there, and He will speak to you. The hound of heaven is after you, pal. Uh, I'm going to tell you. You are living in the middle, in the middle of your grief, in the middle of your sorrow, which is real. You are living in the middle of a miracle. God has sent you. Already has sent you uh, His His help in the form of this girl. And That's the reason I'm not quoting the Bible at you. Uh, the Bible has a lot of wisdom in it, but what you're looking for is people. God works most of the time through other people, and uh, if you go to this grief group, you will find the people you need who will lead you uh, where you have to go. You don't need you don't need to be singing Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus will find you, uh, and and you are in the middle. I can tell. I can, I'm I'm looking at what's going on in your life, and you're in the middle of a miracle. Grab the miracle. Don't turn it. Don't turn the gift away. The gift is being handed to you. Take it. Uh, from Jennifer. Uh, Dear wisest of all men, I'm currently struggling with my boyfriend. We're both in our late mid 20s. We want to get married, buy a house, have a family. We've been together a little over six months, but we know each other. My boyfriend is a truly wonderful man, makes me incredibly happy. He's my absolute best friend. We have wonderful synergy. But he can have very severe mood swings and go from laughing and kind to brooding and mean within the space of an hour. I try to be patient. Uh, and be someone he can lean on when these mood swings happen, but he refuses to talk to me about what's going on and why his mood changes, which I admit impact my own mood because I worry that maybe I'm doing something wrong. She says, you have an amazing gift where you can see big picture in the problems uh, people come to you with. I seek your guidance in helping me see the big picture here and tell me what I'm missing. Is there something I'm not doing right, something I could be doing better? I don't want to lose this relationship because the man I know him to be is one of the kindest, most loving, fun, and easygoing people I know. But am I kidding myself into thinking that this is the real him and that I could make this work? Yeah, uh, you are. I know that's not what you want to hear, uh, but I think you already know it. I can tell from your letter that you already know it. Uh, He has a severe problem. Um, It's possible that he will find help, but the very fact that he won't talk to you about it, uh, the very fact that he won't acknowledge he has a problem is really um, is really di- a difficulty for you. Uh, every lady who is abused uh, tell, will tell you that when the guy is not abusing her, uh, he is the nicest guy in the world he's so nice when he's not like this he's such a great guy he's such a great guy this is going to get worse it's only going to get worse if it's a problem now before you're married trust me if you get married it is going to be a much 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 bigger problem and become a much bigger problem as things go on again I know that's not what you want to hear but I am telling you the truth Uh, and I think like I said you already know it um you know this guy with some kind of personality disorder uh, maybe he's bipolar i don't know i can't i'm not diagnosing him and i can't diagnose him but if he's if he's being mean to you in these mood swings and will not talk to you about it however nice he is when he's not being mean is not nice enough and uh, like i said it's just going to get worse sorry um from abigail in my claveless two weeks uh, also celebrating the birth of the savior i had an unpleasant conversation with my closest family member, whom I adore. After two years of good health, we all got COVID uh, in early December. And then last week, he said, I'm no longer welcome in his family's home or anywhere indoors with their small children until fully vaccinated. I've been banished, excluded. I'm very close to the children, and I'm the only female relation in town because the parents are gay. So that's an important component, too. I am hurt. It makes no sense. It is hypocritical. I wonder, how does one not be resentful? What do you recommend I do say now and when I'm finally allowed on their premises? My olive branch was a text telling them I loved them an hour after the unpleasant conversation. Please kindly advise. Um, you're looking at this in the wrong way. You're looking at this and asking yourself who is right and who's wrong. It doesn't matter. Uh, The question is, who decides? And the answer is them. The answer is them. They're the parents. They don't decide 50%. They don't decide 75%. They have 100% right to decide. And they have decided that you should not come over unless you're vaccinated. Uh, That leaves you... That's it, that's the end of the story. It doesn't matter whether they're right or wrong. It can be hurt, it can be resentful, it doesn't matter, their decision, they are in complete control in this case. So you can do a couple of things, you can get vaccinated, uh, or you can make sure that you continue to have a relationship with the children by seeing them online, uh, by dropping cookies off or gifts off or whatever, uh, and doing whatever you can do. This is not about whether you're right and you're wrong. I can tell from your letter that's what you're thinking. I'm right here, and I want to hear that I'm right. It doesn't matter whether you're right or wrong. You just, you're not in charge. You are not in charge. They are in charge. Um, and so that's like, you know, that's a tough situation. But you don't want to lose your connection to these children, so you want to keep that going, and so you have to figure out how to do that in the situation you're in, because the situation you're in uh, is is for them to decide, not for you. They're the parents. Um, from anonymous, I need your help with a. This is a, a lot of hard advice today. I'm sorry, I'm afraid. Um, I need your help with a current issue in my household. I'm a 17-year-old who has recently returned to Christianity with the help of you and some of the other Daily Wire hosts. I always love to hear this, by the way. I know it is a wonderful deepening of life and joy. Um, My mother has recently married a man outside of our faith. I consider him one of those new agers. He helped me get out of my depression but recently has been trashing my religion and talking about how wrong I am. I'm wanting to know what you would do to avoid conflict because he is the first man in my mom's life who has finally treated her with respect. And I personally want to avoid any conflict. Well, first of all, good for you. That is the exact right thing to do. Uh, You do not need conflict. You're 17 years old. You're one year out of getting out of the house. What you want to do is get out of the house in a friendly, happy, loving way. Your faith needs to be stronger than his carping. Uh, He shouldn't be carping at your faith. He's doing the wrong thing. And what you should... But you know, you're not going to be able to stop him. And so what you should be doing is saying, well, you know, we're just going to have to agree to disagree. And you should say that relentlessly. You should not let him drag you in to any, uh, you know, arguments about it. Just go to your church, pray to your God. You will be much better for that. And you will be much better for not uh, getting into a fight with your mom's Decent boyfriend, you know, I mean you're doing the right thing. Just stay out of the conflict stay out of it And it's hard. It's gonna be hard because he's gonna he's going to uh, bait you He's gonna try and draw you in every time he does it and it's gonna make him angry that you won't be baited But still that's that's the right thing to do You know even walk out of the room if you have to just keep from getting in a conflict with him You're one year away from being 18 and being going off on your own and that's what you should do Just wait for it Uh, From Josh, hey, Andrew, love your show. Quick question, what is your all-time favorite movie? You know, I get asked this a lot. I don't have all-time favorites in the arts because there's so many different uh, things that are great. Um, You know, I I think the best movies I've ever seen are probably uh, Casablanca, The Godfather, and The uh, Christmas Carol uh, that I like from 1951, uh, I think it is. Um, and I've talked about that on The Christmas Show. Those are, the, I think, the, the best movies I've ever seen. There is a movie uh, that I just think is fantastic that I just love called The Third Man. If you've never seen The Third Man with Joseph Cotton, uh, based, I, well, actually, actually, the Graham Greene novel is written... Is based on the movie. Uh, It is amazing. It's an amazing, amazing movie. If you've never seen The Third Man, I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, It's funny. It's tense. It's exciting. It's got great performances in it. And it's uh, just really interesting. It's a classic. It's definitely a classic. And I mention it only because, you know, it's it's not like Casablanca or... or The Godfather, where everybody knows it. But The Third Man is really one of the great pictures. All right, I got to stop there. That means that you, congratulations, are about to be plunged into the Clavenless week, uh, a kind of incredible darkness where there's no light at all, there's wailing, there's gnashing of teeth. The chances of your surviving, uh, minuscule, and not even worth computing. But if, by chance, you should crawl, as if again, uh, over broken glass and through flames, uh, to get to next Friday, we will be back with The Andrew Claven Show, and I will still be Andrew Claven. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode and want to spread the word, give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, basically wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, remember to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Walsh Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thank you for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Lisa Bacon, executive producer Jeremy Boring, our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Wadowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. Our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. And our production assistant is Jacob Falash. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022.
1: Today on the Matt Wall Show, the Daily Wire achieves a resounding victory at the Supreme Court as Biden's illegal and insane vaccine mandate is blocked and effectively killed. Also, in more good news, college enrollment rates continue to decline across the country. We'll talk about that. And the top prosecutor in Baltimore is facing a slew of felony charges related to fraud and perjury. Meanwhile, a convicted arsonist uh, that she set free from prison is speaking out to the media He's opposed to his own release, yet he was released anyway. Plus, a study finds uh, claims to find, anyway, that people are more attractive when they cover their faces with masks. And in our daily cancellation, the left is upset about my anti-universal voting rights stance. For a change of pace, get this, they've called me racist. I'll deal with that today and much more on The Matt Walsh Show.